everybody. Welcome yep. to a new episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I'm AKA the Brad. AKA the Brad. I like how you build on it subtly every episode. <laughs> One day it's Brad, AKA Brad. Then it's AKA Brad. Then it's AKA guy who hates on everything everywhere all at once. Right, you right. Know, <laughs> I, I, like, you got to change it up every once in a while. You know, you should try it. <laughs> I should. I should. I should. Um, how you doing today, man? Doing good. Doing good. We got a we got a pair of um eh, I guess one of them I use the term comedy loosely, but we got a pair of comedies here. I would one is a straight up silent comedy, and the other one I wouldn't say it's silent, but it doesn't rely too much on dialogue. Uh it, it, they're both very situational comedies. Situational. I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, so we got we got a different matchup today, but I feel like somehow the this comparison works. We got uh, Jacquees Tati's uh, Playtime from 1967, and we got Mel Brooks's classic Silent Movie from uh, 1976. Yeah, so one of these movies uh, basically bankrupted the director. Uh, the other one was a giant risk that paid off tremendously. Mm. it's interesting how we, when we get into which is which because um there are some fascinating stories behind the making of these movies man there is um i actually so the story behind playtime i knew but uh with watching silent movie i decided to look a little bit into the history of it and it's it's actually got a pretty interesting like coming up story nice nice all right so do you uh i'll take playtime you take silent movie how does that sound that sounds good to me all right all right all right so let's just hop right into it folks you know what we do here like share and subscribe you know give us feedback let us know which of these two films you like or which one wins out and uh here we go all right man uh oh i meant to ask you you we starting chronological um that's that's a you know yeah yeah let's do it you know, I, I, I thought about it long and hard for a long time before we started this, but I think chronological might work. Yeah, I it hadn't thought work. about it, but now that you bring it up, I think that'll that'll work out better. Let's see what happens. All right, Playtime. All right, so we got Playtime, a uh, film uh, co-written and directed by uh, Jacques Tati, uh, co-starred by him, too. They say like this is like his masterpiece, but basically what this film is, I want to say it's a, b- a bunch of vignettes, in a, um, in a workspace building of modern day Paris. But basically it's about different characters who come in and out of a, uh, of a, um, a working building. You know, you got different, uh, I, it's hard for me to put this into words. There's vignettes and there's characters. There's of course Tati's character of Monsoir Hulot, who is like a popular character from his other films, but he's barely in this because he wanted to like kind of I guess be behind the scenes more with this movie, but mm-hmm. there's the airport, there's the offices, there's the trade exhibition, there's apartments, the Royal Garden, and the carousel of cars. All of these are like, like sets that are like, well, not sets within the film, but all of these are like different locations within the film where people come in and out. And it, it, we went into different comedic situations throughout the film. You know, we, we started the airport all the way to this restaurant and things get more and more zany as the film goes on. And in a very, very, very broad sense, that's what this movie is about. It's a futuristic, consumerist Paris is how Wikipedia describes it, that, that where it's set at. And it's really about like, our, our director, his character is like, kind of like the outlier to this world. Like he's trying to like uh, conform to this very futuristic, sleek, but, very confusing world it's kind of like when you see old people try to work smartphones and like like they they know they they know how to um press play and stuff like that but it's like why is everything so complex i didn't grow up with this Mm -hmm. that's kind of how our main character feels in this movie like i don't know like what so this is my first time watching this i i i begun this once before but again you know me i get sidetracked um when, when, when was the first time you watched this? So the first time I watched this one was a couple of years back when it popped up on a like top 100 most influential movies in cinema list. 
and this one was near the top like it was in the top 20 so when i was going through the list and watching them i got to this one that was the first time i saw this movie and Mm. the first time i saw it was my initial thoughts were i have no idea what i just watched uh that that was just a weird movie and then i started looking into it more and then i watched like clips of it you know and kind of like got some of the inside jokes and the little background patterns that are going on throughout the movie and this time when i watched it i had a blast with it because i got every reference point i was like peering into the background where there's entire stories going on in the background of this movie while you're sitting in the foreground of it watching what's happening with the characters that are talking so it's i I was waiting to hear what you were going to say for your description of this movie (laughs) because i I try to keep it broad right because i I know there this is one of those films where i was hoping you would say that because i didn't look into anything with it i know who jacques toddy is like i know like criterion has like a collection of his films and this was something by him that is kind of revered but I didn't want to brush this film off so so quickly and so ruthlessly because I I wanted to hear from you why you like this so much because you had told me before we did this episode you said oh man this is a film I need you to watch and I right. was like he knows what playtime is I was like oh okay well I guess I'll check it out again because I almost checked it out once but again when it ended I was looking at the screen I was like. Cause I did get distracted at some moments. I ain't going to lie to you. Some mm-hmm. moments did keep me distracted. Like, man, I just don't know what's going on. Like, I I just don't get it. But I, I figured, like, maybe there's something deep going on here that I didn't catch the first time. Um, yeah. I, so, I, so the first time you watching this, uh, I had the same exact thoughts of what did I watch? What did I just miss? How is this so influential? And it comes down to the set pieces, the way that it treats the characters, not as main characters, but pieces in this world that we're just kind of watching. And there's constantly references back to different things. Uh, People running into glass doors and everything like there's an incurring joke of, you know. Uh, this world is made of glass, more or less. You know, people are always peering in through windows, uh, through glass doors, entire buildings made of glass. And these buildings made of glass are also covering up basically the entire, like, uh, scenic view of everything in order to do it. Like, when they're taking a picture of, uh, they're going like, oh, here's, like, the famous bridge and everything. And it's just taken up by this giant building made of windows. You can't actually see the bridge anymore. And when they're going into the building, they're opening the door and you don't see the Eiffel Tower, but you see it in the reflection of one of the windows. Right. So it's basically, it comes together with that where you're like in scenes where people run into windows because they don't real or doors because they don't realize they're there because they're glass doors. Uh, it comes full circle toward the end of the movie at a nightclub where there's a doorman who's holding open a broken door. It's just a handle. Right. right, right. He's, he's trying and to keep right. He, he's, he's keeping the illusion for people that there's a door there still that, you know, he's opening the glass door and the only people, you know, everybody stops and waits for him to open the door for them and stuff like that. As if the door still exists except for the drunk people that wander right through (laughs) like they normally would even if a door was actually there and just stumble through it i mean i i get all of that like i understand i see the influential power of this film through its set pieces like when i hear of like like the like the when I see the intricate set pieces that uh, it took to create the office space the buildings Mm -hmm. and all of that i get all of that but i'm like I don't, but I don't get it. It's, it's basically think of like third degree slapstick humor. You know, uh, I think one of the best scenes in this movie is what would be second degree. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'll be stiff on first to third. (laughs) Uh, second degree is just somebody going, Hey, I, you know, I heard about this slapstick. (laughs) I mean, listen, I, I, I caught some bits like I, you know, I like the bit where um, he walks down 
I think this is great directing, by the way. He he walks down into the office space, and the guy he's looking for gets a call from somebody else in the cubicle in the lower right hand mm-hmm. part of the screen, like, "Hey, I need those numbers." And you know, Jacques is looking, Monsor is looking around, like, "Where's the guy?" We see the guy travel, like he's in a maze, like he's in Pac Man, going to the other cubicle, go right back. Then they start losing each other again. And like you said, I like the the, the idea of reflections, like you know. He goes way across the street and sees the guy through the reflection thinking he's in the other building. And the guy's in the other building like, no, come here. He's like, I'm, I'm trying. I can't get through the door. And they're on two different sides. I, I get the visual comedy, but I'm like, that's the whole movie? It, it is all visual comedy. There are no real like uh, it, jokes that are audible jokes, you know? Uh, it doesn't rely on any kind of talking or anything like that to get through the picture of what this world is. Like one of the jokes toward the beginning of the movie when uh, he goes to first see the guy with the blue folder. I can't remember what his name is, but he they have names. <laughs> I, I think so. I'm pretty sure they do. Um, but he first like starts going to the building and. And you have the doorman blocking his way from getting into the building at first, who then, you know, eventually lets him into the building. He does this complicated machine to call one person to come. And he's coming down this long hallway and right. he tells Hulo uh, to wait. Hey, stay just, seated. Just you stay know, seated. Coming. Relax. It's he's He's on his way. And then it's. That- a long scene of him walking down the hallway. And then when he finally gets there, then uh, he has to wait on Hulo to get his papers sorted in order to do that. So he can then let him into another door that's right there. And it's just the situational comedy of like this doorman literally blocked him from entering the building and then proceeded to call a guy to come get the door for that guy. I, see, something like that gave me a chuckle, and I feel like that was kind of my response to the whole movie. Like I, like I chuckled here and there, like the whole thing with the guy <laughs> in the restaurant, my man who kept coming out with the food and kept touching up his hair every time. Oh yeah, and, I, and I'm like, what's what's this guy deal? Why does he have to do that every time he comes out with the food? And then, uh, you know, with them like seasoning the fish twice with two different people. Like I, oh, I, the, the I, fish gets seasoned like five times throughout the entire night, and it even moves tables. At one point, it goes from like table six where it's supposed to be to like the table next to it, and the people are like, "Yeah, we didn't order that," and then it comes back to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, you know, ahead. like I was gonna say, like it, it it surrounds two characters. You got you got Mansoor who loved, but this Barbara lady. The only scene where I remember seeing her was when she was trying to take the picture of the French lady in front of her vegetables or something, in front of her flowers or something, and everybody kept getting in the shot. She like, was also going through the, uh, the, I guess it was like a business expo where they were showing off the broom with headlights and the glasses that lifted up so you could do the mascara, uh, which the mm-hmm. lifted glasses where it has that L shape comes back a couple times with other people breaking their glasses in that, like, that fashion, including the guy who thought that Hugh Lowe was the person that was going through their filing cabinet at one point. Okay, yeah, I think I think I probably saw her in that scene, but it's just, uh, I feel like this, like this film has a lot of inside jokes that I just was not part of, and I'm like, I... I Oh, that's one hundred percent what the movie is. It's it's a bunch of inside jokes that are just that. It, it you're laughing at the absurdity of a situation of what these people are doing, you know, because you have the scene with the apartments where he goes in. Where uh, who is it? The one truck driver is like, oh, yeah, I own this beauty. Isn't she great? You know, bought it cash. It's great. And I have this luxury apartment. Great here. Hey, do you have any change on you so I can like park? You know, it's it's the guy is talking about all these luxury things he has. And then he needs to borrow a quarter from Hulo so he can park his car. Okay, so irony's in it too. So Um, a lot of it is like just situational, ironic. It's that that's what it is. It's it's slapstick on like a different level i mean there's some scenes i like but like 
like like the scene where he's getting some i think it's dessert or food and he's just he's like i think he takes one of them and he smells them and then he looks at one guy like one guy just has like the weirdest like deadpan expression on his face mm-hmm. then at one point they just lock eyes and then they just look away from each other and then like you know it, it just becomes like okay that gave me a chuckle but it's like um I don't know, man. This one for me. Really? Like, okay. I, I don't feel like this is for. This ain't for everybody. I I get why it's important. Like th- this is a well constructed movie. But oh I yeah. I feel like I don't think this is enough to make into a movie, dude. Like, uh, imagine again. I'm gonna do a Swiss Army man. Imagine being in the meeting. Like, okay, we are going to make a situational comedy. <laughs> All right. What's the situation? Uh. Everyday life. No, no, go back to your French accent. I want to hear it throughout the entire pitch. <laughs> no, no, I already embarrassed myself. I thought I thought I could do it well. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Um, situational comedy with the idiosync idiosyncratic uh, mistakes of everyday life. Okay, w- w- what's the character? What's the conflict? That's it. Yeah, there is no conflict. <laughs> and I'm like. Man, this this was turned into a whole movie. So give us give us a little clue into like the backdrop on how this was made. So this one was uh, basically it was I'm trying to remember his name Tatis uh, trying to make a perfect film uh, where everything is controlled chaos. Good job on that, buddy. Uh, well, he he hit his mark. He said that playtime is actually exactly how he wanted it to be. And there's nothing about it that he would change. And with it, it is it is basically a very thought-out movie. There's a lot of jokes with it that you, know, you might not catch the first time watching it. But there is a lot going on in the background as well. So in every scene, you basically have two types of scenes. There's one where there's a lot going on. And then you have the scenes where it's just quiet. There's nothing else. It's... Like when he's in the cafe and he's, you know, going through the food and everything like that, there's nothing else going on. There's no background gags. There's no jokes there. It's him just going in a cafe and then he runs into the, uh, who is it? The doorman for the club. And he's like, oh, you got to come to the club here. I'll, I'll buy that for you. Come on, let's go. So there's that whole thing. And then you have moments like inside the club or inside the business expo where, everything's going on at once you know there's so many things going on in the background there's you know the one guy that's walking around with the coat rack and Mm. you later see him on the bus with the coat rack and people think that it's a pull for the bus but instead it's literally just a coat rack and it starts moving as soon as the bus moves and people are like moving around because they're not expecting it to be something that just somebody brought a coat rack onto the bus uh, it's just situational humor like that. That there's a lot of stories going on that you can follow throughout. Yeah, I I don't understand all of that being turned into a movie. <laughs> like I listen, I understand, I get it. You know, kudos to him making a film exactly how he wanted to make it. But it's like, look, there's an audience for this, and it's obviously Brad. <laughs> uh, but. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just couldn't rock with this. I, I get why it's important, but it was kind of like, oh, okay. Let me just double check, because if I recall correctly, this one has a pretty high score. Oh, none of that means nothing to me, man. Um, I, Swiss Army Man had a good score. <laughs> this movie has a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes for critics and an 89 for audiences. So maybe you're just the one person this movie wasn't made for. No, that's 87. So there's more than me. You know, you know, I don't hate the movie. I just feel like I, I walked away from that going, oh, OK. See, I kind of walked away from it the first time with that kind of same sentiment of that. That was strange. I'm not exactly sure what to take from that. You know, there were some good chuckles in there and everything. And then it was later when I, like, got deeper into some of the inside kind of jokes and, like, the little background gags that are going on, like the glasses coming up, the show, the club inside the club where the way to get in is by having the burn marks from the chairs that were too hot in the club that ran out of food, so they had to serve cold chicken in the hot club. You know, it's it's stuff like that. I didn't like that. that at all. <laughs> 
Hey, show me what video essay on YouTube you watched that enlightened you to how great this movie is. Because I know that's where you got it from. No, it wasn't a video essay. It was, uh, it, there was a thread on, I think it was Reddit? the IMDb forums, but I've got to believe somebody uh, cashed it somewhere. I'll find it and I'll send it to you because it's like a list of like all the little different background jokes that you can watch out for in this movie. Because I know I missed something. I know I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm catching some gags here, but I just like, like, I don't know why the ceiling fell apart in the beginning, like, like, like towards the end of the restaurant. I'm like, did that, did that? The restaurant was still under construction when they were opening. So everything is still being built. And when the first guests arrive, they're like still putting away like all the tools and everything. Like the construction workers are shooed into the kitchen. And that's where we have like the scenes where you just have a bunch of construction workers sitting in the back room where their kitchen is, you know, and you have the people, the waitresses or the waiters like arguing over the size of the dishes and the size of the window. Like it doesn't fit. And then you have like the construction worker take out a ruler and kind of go, yeah, yeah, you're right. That dish is smaller. That dish is bigger than the window. And it's like, you can visibly see that you didn't need to measure it, you know? (laughs) And it's, it's stupid stuff like that. Uh, this movie is, go ahead. Yeah. With the, uh, the tile that like comes loose and they had to send a waiter out to glue it because they can't send the construction worker because they don't want people to think that the place is under construction still. So they send out the waiter and the construction workers like, okay, so you want to glue the tile down. It's really hard or really easy. You know, you can't screw it up and everything like that. All of this happened. Yeah. You, you missed most of the movie, I feel like. <laughs> I mean, dude, I was trying my best to pay attention, but I'm like, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> um, look, man, maybe there is some genius that I just didn't tap into the first time around, and maybe that's intended. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe, maybe that's intended for you to like, all right, look, you saw it the first time, now come back and dissect it. But I don't really like comedy that makes me think. You watch comedy to make you laugh. I I love all kinds of comedy. I love UK comedy. I love comedy, Again, you know, slapstick. You know, I the key word is comedy. Right. It makes you laugh. UK comedy with oh. all this cringe that still makes me laugh. Oh, this this made me laugh. I, I got good laughs out of this movie. I, so did you get good laughs the first time you watched it? The first time I got some good chuckles out of it. Recurrent watches, I got good laughs out of it. Is there a is there a playtime cheat sheet you used? Because I feel like that's how you got so enlightened with this. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I read there was back on the IMDb forum days and everything like that. There was kind of like that huge thing where people were like posting, you know, the different background jokes and everything that like came full force through it. And I don't remember all of them. There's just some of them I remember and some of them like watching the movie again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that part. OK, yeah. And then that has. The, oh, here comes that. You know. All right, man. I mean, so what? I just go to letterbox now. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. If you find it, just let me know, because I, I know I missed something here, but it was like first time watching it. It just it didn't sell me, dude. I'll, I'll I, find it and I'll throw it your way because, yeah, it's. This movie, there is a lot to it. I will say that. It is a lot of noise that is overwhelming to tell exactly what's going on in the noise. I Listen, I see the well-crafted construction behind the film. That, that doesn't go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't get the point. You say, oh, it's situational comedy. All right, that's the type of genre. That's that. Like, what is what is the point? There really isn't a point to it. There's no like, uh, they save the hero saves the princess at the end of the day. You know, there's no point like that to it. Let let me tap into my Seinfeld. It's a film about nothing. Yeah, (laughs) is that what you're telling me here? Pretty much, more or less. It's it's a film where you're just laughing at the absurdity of situations that people are put in. And the way people react to said situations, like seeing a broom with headlights on it and everybody's like, oh, oh, that's very interesting. And then they show it going. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then they show it going under the desk, and then everybody's like, oh, that's what it's for. Oh, that's genius. Oh, that's really good. I could use that every day now. As if all of a sudden it makes sense that there's headlights on a broom now that it's gone under a desk. You know? And then that wouldn't make sense at all. N- no, that that's the joke. It's it's completely absurd, you know, that people are like, "Oh, that makes sense now." Oh wow, that was the joke. That's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> all right, folks, two point five. I, I just I'm done here. I, I I might revisit it someday, and I might change it one day, but as of now, look, canceled. I'm like walking the- off the podcast. This is the moment. I- <laughs> I like the directing of it, okay? I think the directing is good. I just, it, it couldn't, listen, man, I like cinema that makes me think, but when you tell me comedy, I mm. think comedy. Like, there has the, to be some kind of laughter. Th- this is comedy. <laughs> I disagree, Gary. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Put up that, uh, that Adam Sandler uh, gif. I disagree. <laughs> Uh, th- this one's a four for me. It's I, I have I love this movie. It, it's got so much going on with it that it I I hope that you watch it again and I will. You, I you will get through it and you're gonna come back and be like, okay, that was a much better movie than I originally thought it was. Because when I first saw this on like the 100 most influential movies kind of list, uh, the British. The British Film Institute one. I, I think so. It. I can't remember what list it was, but I remember kind of like going through the list, and when I got to this movie on it, I was like, okay, that that stood out from everything else. Like everything else, I understood this one. I really didn't. And then it took some like looking into to see why it had made that list for me to go, okay, I I can appreciate this more now. Okay, for what All it right. did, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, I'll give it another shot. Hey, no problem. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. But all righty, I'm all set on this one. You? Um, yeah, I don't know that there's anything else I really had to say about this one. Um, oh, there's one other scene that I absolutely love, which is the apartment scene when they're in the like glass apartments and everything, and you can see all the people. And they're all watching the same show and everything like that. Uh, just when it comes to like the cinematography of that scene, absolutely love it because it's like the window into these four houses that are all subject to the same show at the same time. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing that they're all tuning in for. Uh, just I, I love the imagery of that one. Uh, they're is a little bit of like a reference in that one to something else. I can't remember what it was, but it's, I, I love that scene just for the cinematography of that one. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm willing to accept that maybe there's some things that I missed that I need to rewatch. I, I would, I would do that. You know, I, I mean, I, like I mentioned a bunch of stuff that you just went, I didn't notice that I wasn't aware of that. So yes, there is a lot that you missed. Uh, you know, because how fun is it to watch a film where a whole plot goes on in the background that 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 plays into effect 70 minutes later into the film? Isn't that fun? Uh, it's called Chekhov's Gun, and it's in a lot of movies. Whatever. Whatever, <laughs> man. When I hear comedy, I hear comedy. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to... Uh, now, this is what I would call a comedy. Yeah, uh, this one is pure slapstick comedy. So, so uh, Mel Brooks, a silent movie, uh, follows the story of Mel Fun along with uh, Dom Bell and Marty Eggs, played by Dom DeLuise and Marty Feldman, uh, who are trying to put together a movie to save Hollywood. And of all the things, they decide to put together a silent movie uh, 40 years after the last one came out. But the big draw of it is they're going to have many big stars in this one. So among those stars, you have Burt Reynolds, James Caan, uh, Liza Liza Minnelli, 
Yeah, Liza uh, Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. I almost said it wrong the first time. Um, you know, and like Paul Newman shows up in it, who I can't remember if he actually gets in the movie or not. I remember he asks if he can be in the movie, but I don't. They act like they're not going to sign him into the movie. But right, right, right. Uh, among it is just their adventure of trying to form this movie that originally is they're told no they cannot make because it's absurd to make a silent movie in that right. time no one's gonna go see that yeah nobody's gonna want to go see that and that's the recurring joke throughout the entire movie is nobody wants to see it but the movie itself is a silent movie about making a silent movie or getting right. together at all the pieces to make a silent movie with slapstick at full force throughout the entire thing. And that's the general synopsis for this one. So have you seen this movie before? No. Okay. So this was your first time watching this as well. It was. Okay. Was this your first time? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Prior to you yeah. recommending this one, I hadn't even heard of this movie to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, uh, what was I about to say? Yeah, dude, I had always had this film on DVD because I had got the Mel Brooks collection from Sam's Club and where it had like all of his greatest hits in one package, you know, with Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles and mm. all that. I feel like, all right, why not get this? I like Young Frankenstein when I saw it. So I'd always wanted to watch this film. So I figured like, OK, I know Playtime is a film that doesn't use much dialogue. So why not pair it with Silent Movie? Um, look, man, as much as I didn't understand playtime, this isn't a bad pair of films like, uh, th oh, yeah. this works, this works very well. And I, I'm, I'm grateful to have finally saw this movie, dude. I just, from the moment the pregnant woman got in the car and it started leaning up, I, I was dying, man. Like this movie had me from the first scene. Yeah. This movie definitely takes slapstick and runs with it in every direction. And... I love that it actually has some callback jokes as well, like the Coke machine that just flings Coke in every direction. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have like the, what is it? The movie studio that keeps coming in to try and thwart their attempts to do this. The big New York studio, uh, which I love that their motto is we have our fingers in everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, this this movie definitely does a great job at taking slapstick when it's running through and having these three goofballs, more or less. It's basically the three stooges running mm -hmm. around and trying to convince people that they need to be in this silent movie, which is a crazy idea. And you have the recurring jokes with like the newspaper guy who every time they book a new celebrity, this guy that runs a newspaper stand has a giant block of newspapers thrown at him and knocks him unconscious. And then the block rolls over and it zooms in. It's like, you know, Burt Reynolds signed on for Mel Fun's new movie, uh, a silent movie. And... Same thing happens with every other actor that's brought on. Uh, if I recall correctly, James Ken was uh, practicing boxing at the time, and mm -hmm. he had a trailer that had a loose spring on it. So the whole trailer is bobbing around the entire time they're inside of it. So anytime anybody right. moves, they're all shifting around. Yeah, man. It, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, I was about to say that I like... Uh, what was I about to say? I was about to say that I, I really liked how the only person that we know that is known for like silent work, the, um, you know, a really famous mime, uh, what's his name? Marcel Marceau is the only person that says one word of dialogue in this movie. They ask him, hey, you want to be in our film? And he, in his mind, he goes, oh, no. You know, Mel Brooks gets off the phone like, uh, okay. You know, like he's like, it's ironic that the person that's known for being silent makes the only line of dialogue in the movie. Right. The only spoken word. And I love his response to it when asked, like, is he going to do it? Is, I don't know. I don't speak French. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, man. Dude, so many great moments. Dude, Marty Feldman, he's the, uh, he's the MVP, man. Oh, yeah. He he just kills it in this movie. Like, I love him in Young Frankenstein. 
but in this film, dude, he's just he's even though he's kind of a pervert, it just makes you laugh how he gets caught into these situations. Like in the one the one moment he meets a woman where he says, "Hey, you want to dance with a mild uh, aggressive mild or no, aggressive a pervert, mild mannered pervert?" <laughs> and she says, "Yes, absolutely." Uh, he gets lost in the crowd and, and she's dancing in the middle of folks dancing to the music and he can't get in to the point where he finally lunges himself in then everybody scatters and then she scatters. Yeah, she's like, oh, well, everybody's done dancing now. I'm going to go. I'll say this, man. As much as, uh, and you know, uh, Jacqueline's Toddy put a lot of craft in the playtime. There's some great crafty visual gags in this movie, man. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I love it. Like you know, like you um, you got characters that um, you know you, the visual gags are funny, but I like how you can picture exactly how somebody's saying something. Like I, you don't hear Bernadette Peters uh, speak, but Babalu, you can picture her saying it that way by the mm-hmm. way her, her her voice moves, and um, you know, like like you you may not know what marty is saying to a certain woman that he's trying to get close to but you can tell like he's being really creepy mm-hmm. and um and then when he gets is, smacked you're like oh yeah it, it, he definitely was saying something you know pervy right and uh I, <laughs> a funny scene is uh it looks like the actors are having fun in this like it looks like burt reynolds james con they're all having fun in this movie oh yeah like uh, I like how um, at the end of it all, like you said, with Paul Newman, uh, when Paul Newman, after they get into that chase and he's like, uh, hey, uh, could I be in your movie? And then they just like, like you said, they think about it and they go, uh, we'll call you. Yeah, we'll call you. <laughs> we'll let you know. Uh, yeah, I didn't really know if he was in the movie or not. It didn't. Oh, no, he was because because I think I think there was a newspaper saying that he made it. Oh, was there? OK, I think so. Yeah. But um, basically, I like the enemies of uh, Engulf and Devour, because I think originally, no, that was the studio chief that had the heart problems. But um, Engulf and Devour kind of want to take the take the studio down that um, the big the big picture studios studio down. So that's the other studio is a studio that Mel Brooks is working for to try to uh, revitalize his picture. So I like how. The bit with the smacking, um, where the guy he, he oh, went yeah. through, he went through each minion. He smacked one all the way to the last one. The last one smacking him, and uh, when he when he gets told to discipline them again, he says, "I want you to do to him what I do to you and pass no, it down." Yeah, he he smacks the first person and goes pass it down, <laughs> and then it proceeds to go down to the last guy, who then smacks the person instead of getting smacked, and it comes all the way back and smacks him. Right, right, right. And uh, I was, this is what I was about to say about visual gags. I love how they're in the hospital and <laughs> Marty's messing with the heart machine and then Dom DeLuise messing with the other side. Oh, yeah. and they, start, they start playing the ping pong game. I was like, dude, it don't get more intelligent slapstick than this right here, man. Well, even before that, you have the visual gag of when they're gumming up to the nurse and everything. She's not paying attention to anything that's going on around her. And you like pan to the monitors behind her and you have, you know, one guy has fallen out of his bed. The other one, like his bed is like crunching him together and everything like oh, that. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can't. One of them was like in a cast and the cast was, you know, flailing about because the wires on it were getting all tangled. Uh, I couldn't tell what was going on with the other one. It was like he was pulling out his organs or something, but it's like, I don't think that would make it into this movie. So it had to be something else. I just wasn't getting. Yeah, I I know I could notice some of them. Some of them didn't quite make much sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, man. Uh, Okay. (laughs) The Coca-Cola machine that you you talked about earlier. I I think that's my favorite joke in the entire movie is the end joke for that one <laughs> with them using them as grenades more or less right and then uh he he, he get don de Luis gets up there and uh i don't know what happens did that does it hit him in the crotch what happens there oh yeah because like, he's covering all three holes but he's covering one of them with his crotch and then that's the one that the can comes out of 
And then he turns around like, they're right. It is the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was funny, man. Like the Burt Reynolds scene in the shower had me dying, man. Oh, like, where they're just slowly more hands are appearing as he's like soaping up. Right, right. That had me dying. The James Conn scene was kind of funny. Like I, I liked how he kept accidentally knocking everybody out. Oh, when they were outside with the boxing gloves. Right, right, right. Um, and the Anne Bancroft scene was pretty funny. But I just like uh I just like that the the gags a minute, you know, they nine times out of ten, they don't fall flat. Mm-hmm. Like it, it always keeps you chuckling. It's like I, I went from chuckling to like belly laughing. Oh yeah. Yeah, even when the joke doesn't land, there's another one right around the corner. This movie takes that approach that, you know, it takes quality jokes, but it throws them at such high quantity that if one of them doesn't land, you've forgotten about it and you remember all the ones that did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And you can always catch something. I, this seems like one of those films where you can always catch something on a second viewing as well. Oh, I got to believe if I played this one through again, there's a couple jokes that I would get that I didn't see the first time or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, how many male how many male films have you seen? Um, I've seen Blazing Saddles. I've seen Young Frankenstein. I've seen let me pull up his entire filmography. Seen Spaceballs. Of course, I've seen Spaceballs. I wish that we could get a sequel to Spaceballs. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, see, I, w- I, w- I would assume that you have seen Spaceballs. Oh, that yeah. seems like your type of show. I mean, oh, your type of movie. Uh, yogurt, uh, Pizza the Hut. Of course, I've seen Spaceballs. I did go to a convention that was focused on Star Wars, so yes. I've seen everything that parodies it as well. Of course, of course. How can, how can, how can I forget? How could I forget? Let's see, that's your thing, man. Oh yeah. Um, high, I see. I've always wanted to watch High Anxiety, but I want to watch Vertigo first, being that that's kind of like a satire of Vertigo. Uh, I don't think I've seen that one. Let's. See. I know. I, I started History of the World Part 1, but I never finished it. Uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It looks stupid. The Um, Producers, I've seen that one. I saw the remake of that one with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. I haven't seen the remake. I saw the original. Okay, yeah, I gotta watch the original. Uh, But I've seen seen a good... I've seen like... Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, uh, now silent movie. Uh, I think I saw Life Stinks a long time ago, but I, I, I barely remember it. But um, this dude's the heavy hitter, man. Like he's always made like pretty solid comedy. Oh yeah. Like he he, he makes the kind of comedy that doesn't age. Um, watching this kind of makes me want to get into Blazing Saddles because I heard like that's like the number one classic. Oh, you haven't seen Blazing Saddles? I've seen scenes from it. Okay. Yeah, I know the one scene I love. It's not even a scene, it's a line. Uh, Gene Walder is like, uh, yeah, my name is Jim, but my friends call me Jim. <laughs> like, it, this, the, 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 the wistful way he delivers that, like, it's just like, makes me laugh. Yeah, that we'll have to, either you'll have to watch that or we'll add it to the list and team it up with something else. I'm trying to think of other like Western comedies to throw that up against and Rango. Yeah, Rango wouldn't be too bad. Gore Verbinski is weird, but I like his style. I never saw Rango. I'm surprised you haven't seen that one because that one, especially around the time that it was out, it was a pretty big one. I I mean there was a lot of big ones I haven't seen. Remember when I told you I never saw Coraline? We watched it for the show. Oh, that's right. Did you just not do any of like the animated kind of movies around that time that were like critically praised? I think I had always been I had always tried to get around to watching them, but no, I didn't. Okay, that would explain it. Because yeah, yeah I think there's been a lot of like the animated ones I've mentioned. You just go, yeah, I never seen that, and it's like how? <laughs> right, right. Um. 
Yeah, man. I uh, I don't really have much uh, unless you got more to add here, more more uh, eyeing um, scenes. Uh, I ain't really got much. Go ahead. Yeah, there's really not too much. Uh, the meetings and everything that happened between uh, the like movie studios. Those mm. are some funny scenes and everything. Uh, just the slapstick is on point with this one. Uh, typically, when it comes to slapstick, you're either good or bad. There's not really a middle ground, and this one hits on the good side. You're either dumb and dumber or you're dumb and dumber too. Not the prequel. The prequel was good. Right. I'm talking about the sequel. Yeah, T.O. You're either dumb and dumber, you're dumb and dumber too. Right, T.O. Yeah. Um, genius title. I heard not so genius movie. Right. Um, so, listen, man, I love how in the end, I like how meta it gets in the end. Uh, <laughs> the theater they go to has young Frankenstein as a, as an, as a, as a theater. I mean, as a oh, movie yeah. that's in the theaters. <laughs> uh, but I also love how in the end it says, this is a true story because, as you told me, like, uh, this was a real gamble for Mel Brooks to get a studio to do this. Yeah, when uh, he originally was trying to pitch this, uh, it, nobody wanted to take it because the thought of doing a silent movie, like, Mel Brooks had a history of westerns mm-hmm. on his plate at this point. And then he was coming in and going, I want to do a slapstick, you know, comedy that's a silent movie. And basically, that would be the same thing as, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like a director today coming through and just being like, yeah, I know I have some hits behind me, but I want to jump into this weird thing that's completely out of bounds from what I normally do. And it's a movie type. Chris Nolan doing Ace Ventura 3. There we go. You know, and he wants to do it as a black and white, you know, comedy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's the same as what he basically came through and did, and ended up panning out spectacularly in this case. But there was a lot of hesitation behind the concept of doing it, also because it was such a meta script. Because it the script was about making a silent movie against all odds, right? So it's. It's on several layers that studios were like, I I don't know, Mel. This is this doesn't look too good. <laughs> you're making fun of us. Yeah, you're making fun of us while making fun of like the movie industry as a whole using an outdated movie format. Hey, you're I, making fun of you're making fun of movie stars, making them look vain and right. you know, right, right. But it works, man. It's funny. It is. Hey, Mel Brooks is good at funny. Which it, it's I'm glad that he managed to get this one made because it is a really good slapstick movie. But yeah, he, he was against all odds on this one and it panned out beautifully because it's one of his more well-known movies. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is one of those moments where when you let uh, when you take a chance on directors, you know, um, you take a chance on good directors uh, you can get your investment back, no problem. Mm-hmm. I give this a solid four out of five for me. Uh, yeah, I agree. This is a four out of five to me as well. All right, all right. So, all right, here we are again, y'all. Uh, moment of truth. I know where I stand. I mean, you you know where I stand, y'all. <laughs> so, you got playtime versus silent movie. Where where, where are you going? This is honestly a hard one. I, I was thinking on this earlier and was like, well, is is, mm, is so situational is, comedy that's about nothing versus intelligently made slapstick. Is this really a no brainer or is this a no brainer? I mean, uh, come on. It, it, this is it, this is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> this is AKA Brad, y'all. This is AKA the Brad. Um, yeah, this one. It's it's a rough toss up because it's two movies that perfected what it was going for for different audiences. Uh, when it comes to playtime, there's so much love and effort put into that movie and everything like that that it deserves all the praise that it gets from people that aren't Anthony. And <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to uh. silent movie. It literally does slapstick perfectly while being a meta movie 
mocking the entire movie industry with an outdated format movie. And I, I would love to see something like this come out again in the future of some director coming out and using an outdated format to this kind of like meta level when making a mm. movie because it all fits and it works perfectly. And I'm sure other people have tried to do the same thing and failed and you just don't hear about it because it didn't work out. But this one did. The Fairley brothers in their heyday could probably make a great successor to this. I'm talking okay. about there's there's something about Mary, Miss me, myself, and Irene era. Okay. Yeah, I could yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But uh yeah, um I, I think that settles that. So which one do you choose? Damn it. Um <laughs> we ain't getting off that easy, man. Which one do you choose? Come on, there's DFE. Um I I'd, I'd probably pick Silent Movie just because when it comes to slapstick, that gets me all the time. It's hard for me not to pick a slapstick movie. Uh, if Playtime was put up against anything else, I probably would be picking Playtime. But when it comes to a slapstick movie, that that's my jam. You know, I, if jam. I was stuck on a deserted island and I could only have one thing with me, it would be a DVD copy of the Three Stooges series. You know, really? That's your oh, that's your that that's your show, huh? Uh, that would be one of the things that would keep me entertained throughout. Okay, okay. You, you know. ever see them at? You ever see them at the Redford Theater? No. Uh, see, now I could watch this at the Redford Theater. This seems like a Redford Theater type of film, silent movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely too, see it. Maybe. Yeah, I can. See, I can't even see playtime to be honest. Um, all right, folks, before we get out of here, it's our favorite recap moment. Uh, what we've been watching. Did you see Nope? I did. Have you seen it yet? Uh, man, I think it's going to be a while before I go back to the movies for, you know, uh, personal reasons. But um, OK, so I, I won't get into any spoilers for it. Um, I do like it. Just just tell me because I've heard mixed things. I liked it. So in the. So to put into perspective with uh, Jordan Peele's other movies, I think Get Out is still at the top, followed by Nope, and then Us. Also, it's, in your opinion, it's better than Us. I think it's better I than Us. About. Yeah. So I like this one more than I liked Us, more or less because my problem with Us is it presents this weird idea, and then it kind of just goes, an end of movie. And you're just like, but wait, what? No, not, let, that doesn't yeah, make let, sense, though. <laughs> it has a weird idea. Let's just sit with it for a while. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Us is a cult favorite. Like, it, it, it comes off like a John Carpenter's, um, what was the movie he made? Uh, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick some ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Which movie was that? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I know I what you're the, talking about. Had the, wrestlers in, had the wrestler in it. It was uh, They Live. They Live. Like, it's called They Live, right? It's called They Live. I, I, think, I, I, I don't know. This isn't a um, Sinbad Shazam moment. It's called They Live. Okay, it's called They Live. All right, so... Okay, uh, yeah, I just pulled it up. Yeah, that's the one. I look at Us as that kind of movie. Like, it's it's a cult... It's a cult favorite. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm not, not saying Us is a bad movie. Right, I, right, I don't right. Don't try and think that I'm saying that Us is a terrible movie. I'm saying not in his all. three movies, it's right now my order is Get Out... Nope, and then us. Okay. Uh, yeah. Nope, without spoilers, gave me a new you know, nightmare fuel for noises that I will never hmm. forget. Now, is that just you, or is that uh, intended? Uh, no, it's it's very intended. <laughs> it is okay. It is extremely intended to be a new horrible noise for people to have in their brains to never forget. Is it worse than from hereditary? You never saw hereditary. Have you? I have seen hereditary. Um, okay. yeah. Cause it's the same person that made uh midsummer. Right. Ari Aster. Yeah. Uh, um, no, it, it's, it's worse than that. <laughs> okay. All right. See now, now I've heard, I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard some people say, you know, yeah, man, I liked it. It was good. It had and uh, you know, it, uh, you know, it's Jordan Peele. He, he gives you something to chew on and think about. And I've heard some people say, 
man, that was trash. I can't believe I wasted money on that. Like they're either like it's like Black Swan. You either you either like you either love or you hate that movie. I love Black Swan. I feel like the people, like, and I don't want to be a, this is dig of the people that didn't like it, but you didn't get the message, or the message didn't appeal to you grab that he was saying. Right, it didn't grab you. Yeah, it didn't grab I, you, or it was already a message that you didn't agree with, so you didn't like that he was pushing that message. Right, because somebody like I think the movie hasn't been spoiled, but its message that the that it was kind of saying kind of got spoiled for me because my friend told me, you know, I saw it, and I kind of said, all right, I guess that was what it was. And then I went home and I looked up even him talking about it, and I said, oh, I get it now. And it gave her something to chew on. She says, yeah, I liked it because mm-hmm. her initial response was, I said, hey, did you like it? Uh, I did not like it. I was like, <laughs> That's- that's not good. She said, no, no, let me explain. And then I said, oh, okay, I get it. It's something you got to think about. Yeah, man, I really want to see. No, nope. I might see it in its later time at the movies, but by the time it gets taken out of the IMAX theater, well, I'll see. But, um, okay, before we go, BCS, you see the latest episode? Yes, uh, we finally got a conclusion. Well, maybe not. We, we finally got another Gene episode. Yes, yes. Dude, I loved it, man. Uh, from start to finish, it was the it was the greatest kind of subversive moment of tension that the Breaking Bad verse could give us, man. Because mm-hmm. I was like, man, what is going to happen with Gene and this crazy dude, man? And then Carol Burnett shows up. Yeah. I'm like, that's Carol. You know, it turns out that's homeboy's mom. And, you know, after all, Saul fixes a problem the best way he knows how. He says, let me just teach this guy how to scheme. And let me get him through a single scheme, not teach him how to do it. Let me get him a taste of what it's like. Yeah. 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 Give him a taste of the life. Um, Yeah, man, I liked it. I I thought it was uh, thrilling from beginning to end. I love the story with the security guards and the Cinnabon. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, dude, this is great writing right here, man. I love the moment where he's trying to get the security guard to not turn around. And, it's like that moment in that season finale where he took the stand and he said uh, he said some powerful stuff. Oh, about yeah, about his brother, like never believing in him and stuff like that and how he literally right. was against all. Yeah. And then in the end, he told Kim because she was like, oh, man, I'm sorry that you had to say all that out there. He says, did you think they you thought that did you think they bought it? Yeah. And, you know, it was pretty good, right? You know, all off the top of my head too, crazy. I think they bought it. It's really working out. And here's the thing I kind of discover about Saul, and this is my interpretation. I think he, 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 he tries to make it seem as if he doesn't care about the things he say that are true, and he tries to hide it through schemes and plotting. Mm-hmm. But it's like he does care about his brother. He does feel sad about what happened with his brother. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, because there's that pause when he's talking about it because he's like, my mom and dad are gone. My brother. My brother yeah, and it's my like, wife, oh, yeah. You know, you know, like, yeah. And I feel like he he leans into the, his his deepest, darkest regrets when he's really trying to sell something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When he's really trying to sell a, a Saul Goodman moment, he's like, all right, let me reach down into my deepest fears. Let me let me pull back the veil here and let me reach down into something to get this working, because everything he's saying isn't a lie. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got nothing. You know, like, like yeah. what, what what do I have to live for? You go home to a wife. My wife left. It's not a lie. Yeah. It, yeah. He lost his life. His life is gone. He's now the manager of a Cinnabon who goes home to an empty house with nothing to do. And it's like, yeah, it's it's all truthful. And I love how we get that little bit of, you know, he's telling this lie, but mm-hmm. it's not made it's of not lies. It, it's he's basically making this story of truths. Yeah, uh, definitely. One thing that I love that uh, I didn't think of it during the scene, but uh, with reading what people were saying online with how uh, that acts as the perfect kind of, you know, awkward moment that if he stops going to the security guards, he's not they're not going to be suspicious because that was an awkward moment he had with that security guard where the security guard yes. went, you know, no, I can't relate to that. 
and that's when he like left and was like i i think i'm taking up too much of your time and he left and it's like now he has no reason to go back to the security guards first off because the scheme's done and that's genius yeah that's i didn't think of it that way because i mean like that would be the perfect start-off point to be like i can't go back to those guys but now i got an excuse not to go back to them right you know I would have even liked it if they went the heartfelt way where he's like, man, I ain't got no buddies. I might as well just be buddies with the security guard guy. Bring a son of a bun, too. But I know (laughs) if they if they go that way or they go the other way, either way it works. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, man, I uh, I loved it man, the whole episode, dude. The only thing I kind of thought is that they they keep doing it a lot. And I understand why they keep doing it. Like the scene with him in the department store and he's messing around with the suit. And I'm like, okay, we get it. He misses his old life. Um, but I didn't think it was a bad drop-off point. It, it was basically he had done another scheme. It had worked. The Saul part of him is still alive. And then he's picking up the suit and just being like, do I want to go back to that? And then he shelves it and decides it's still not the life he wants to go back to. Mm. You pulled all that from that, huh? Well, you kind of see it in his eyes and everything like that. Like after he pulls the scheme and everything, like he's looking at the store and he's looking at everything. Like he's still looking at the security cameras. Like he's paying attention to everything still. And kind of like that thought of like, you know, he got that high again from doing something that his entire life was dependent on before that he had to completely shut off on a switch. And now all of a sudden he has the opportunity to bring it back and then he's deciding no i'm i'm still not gonna go back to that that wasn't a healthy lifestyle even though it was a distraction from everything else it wasn't healthy for me Hmm. okay maybe maybe i I, yeah it, it makes sense it makes sense um i would say do you think more more problems are going to arise with uh our boy that he showed him how to do a scheme uh, but you know what next? You know what the title of next week's episode is, right? Yeah. DB. Yeah, it's it, it's coming. It at this point though, part of me is thinking it's going to be a fake out, and we're still not going to get the Breaking Bad era <laughs> episode here. I don't think they would do that to us. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't think Peter and Vince would do that man. because. The stills for the episode are all stills from the Gene timeline. They show stills. Yeah, I, I never look at stills. I just I just wait for it to come on and watch it. <laughs> well, the uh, only reason I saw them for this one is because everybody's talking about how the title was revealed to be Breaking Bad, and then everybody's going, but they also released the stills for the episode, and they're all a part of the Gene timeline. So, what the hell is going on with this episode? <laughs> But it makes perfect sense, though, because it's like, I mean, look at the evidence. The episode where Saul showed up was called Better Call Saul. <laughs> I mean, come on. Even if it's just a cold open, I, 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 I would be OK with that. Like, you know. Yeah, we'll see. We still have three episodes or two episodes. I don't I don't count it. I'm just enjoying the ride. I, I'm enjoying the ride, too. But at the same time, now I'm kind of wondering how many episodes do we got left? I think it's three. Because we, we're just at a very, like, uh, pleasantly surprising um, final ride here, man. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the series ended with, uh, you know, episode uh, nine. And this is the epilogue for the series at this point. Because that ending of episode nine, when he's, you know, fully embracing the Saul persona, that that was the perfect ending for the series, I think. So from this point forward, it's literally just an epilogue to Better Call Saul. I wouldn't say that. I I, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I um I take this as the third season of Hannibal, which have you, you haven't watched that yet. Have I have you? not watched that yet. You basically got two plot lines here. Um, have you seen Red Dragon? No. Okay. Well, you got two plot lines. You got one plot line right here, and then you got a separate plot line that it, it easily transitions into. I think you got two plot lines here. You got the Saul that once was before he became Saul. 
I mean, you got the Jimmy that once was before he fully became Saul, and now you got the Saul afterwards. Mm-hmm. Interspersed in between the pre-Breaking Bad era, the Breaking Bad era, and the Gene timeline. I feel like you got you got two stories in one with this conclusion here, and I think right. it just works. Uh, but there are three episodes left. We have Breaking Bad, Waterworks, and the last episode is called Saul Gone. Oh, no. No. No, not Saul Gone. Yeah. August 1st, August 8th, and August 15th. That is the finale. Look at us, man. We sound like a bunch of uh, uh, fandom nerds. Like, this is a <laughs> fandom podcast. Uh, I'm excited, I, I'm pretty man. sure this is a fandom podcast. <laughs> It is. Uh, but I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see where this goes, and uh, we'll talk about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll definitely. I have a feeling that even next episode, we'll talk about the next episode. That's how we do here. Uh, all right, y'all. Well, I'll take it easy. Uh, like, share, subscribe, send love. Let us know what you think, if you agree, all of that. And uh, have a great one.